We're going to be in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 13 this morning, the end of the chapter. I'll remind you of this again, but I would ask you to pay attention as I read this for what Jesus challenges his listeners, specifically his disciples, to do. What he's asking of them in this passage as he's talking about the last days. Starting in verse 32, chapter 13. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard. Keep awake. For you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake. For you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. This chapter, the entirety of it, is really about the ending. So I'd ask you this morning, are we living in the last days? The answer to that question is yes, since after the ascension of Jesus, according to Jesus, we are living in the last days. But really the question that we want to know is, Brian, are we living in the last days of the last days? (laughs) And the answer to that is, I think one of the best kept secrets of Christianity is the ending. Endings shape everything. When you know what the destination is, you can endure the drive. When you know what the finished product will be, you can persist through the construction. When you know the guaranteed prize, you can persevere through the training. But when we come to chapter 13 of Mark, when we come to a passage like this, when we come to prophecies and things about the ending, when we come to the book of Revelation, the ending makes us nervous. I mean, just a little bit before, Jesus was talking about a dark sun and stars falling and powers in heaven that are shaken. And that is frankly tame compared to what Ezekiel and the book of Revelation talk about. And I think for many of us, and maybe in fairness, we we don't know what to do with it. So we don't often think about it. It can be confusing and weird, and so we avoid it, or we just throw out the platitude that we know Jesus is coming back one day. It's interesting, Jesus doesn't give us that out. You see, the doctrine of the second coming, it's a crucial part of Christianity. It's mentioned over 300 times in the New Testament. That's one out of every 13 verses second coming is referred to. Jesus mentions it over and over in his time on this earth, and now we come to a whole chapter on the future. Mark is using this actually as the final discourse for Jesus. It's it's a turning point. When we hit chapter 14 next week, we really begin the transition or we'll head down the path of talking about Jesus' very last hours. So this moment is really an ending of his presentation 
to who Jesus is and what he said while he was here. Now, what's interesting about this chapter, if I could do just a, a little bit of Bible study with you guys for a second, putting it together that with several things over time and a little bit of work, we can understand what Mark is trying to do in this chapter. And I, I'd encourage you maybe to go back and read through it, because really this chapter is broken up into four parts. It's talking about two events. Okay, so one more time, it's four parts in this passage, and it's talking about two different events. So you can see I have on the screen here what's going on. The first 13 verses, Jesus is talking about the end of the temple and the fall of Jerusalem, which happened in 70 AD, so 30, 40 years after Jesus is talking about this. And then in verses 28 through 31, he uses this illustration of a fig tree, which is different from what we talked about several weeks ago to illustrate what that time is going to look like. And he says this interesting sentence, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. And he's talking about Jerusalem and the fall of the temple. And if you want to talk just for a second here, a sidebar note, it's interesting that Jesus, as a prophet, predicted one of the most powerful things in history. Like he was talking about something that really helps bring evidence to who he was, but that's another conversation and another sermon. So then in this passage, we also see that the second thing that he's talking about is his imminent return. So in part A, 1, and A, 2, he's talking about the temple and the fall of Jerusalem. In part B, 1, and B, 2, he's talking about his second coming and being watchful. So... Let's come back to our question. <laughs> Are we living in the last days? Well, the way our passage started out this morning answers that question pretty bluntly. But concerning that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. So without spending a ton of time on it, I would offer to you, bluntly, that if anyone tries to predict or say that we're in the last days of the last days, we should listen very, very wearily. I mean... Jesus says it straight up, I don't know. That's the answer. So, if you think someone might be saying, I figured it out, but <laughs> there is something quite brilliant about what Jesus is doing here. He's trying to give the disciples an assurance of what is to come. Sometimes I think we think knowing the day of his return would give us more assurance. You know, like, there's part of us that's like, I mean, Jesus, you could have just said, you know, May 1st, 2024, I'm coming back. I mean... There's a part of us that thinks if he'd done that, we would be like, that would be helpful to us. But what if knowing the day would actually be more negative than positive? And I'd like to help us unpack that this morning because my proposition for us today is this. That the path to being a robust Christian includes a life that is built on the belief and the hope of the second coming. 
That the path for us to being a robust Christian, to, to experience Christianity in its fullness, to knowing Jesus, is to not, again, just offer some platitudes that I'm convinced that Jesus is coming back one day, but to actually having a deep belief, a, a thought process, an engagement on a regular basis of the reality and the truth of Jesus' return. In fact, I would go so far as to say that we cannot live recognizable Christian lives unless we not only believe this, but think about it and let it affect us in the way we live. So that's what we're going to dive into this morning, why we need to believe it, how to believe it. So let's start with why we need to believe it. Why do we need to believe that the second coming is going to happen? Why do we need to look forward to the second coming? Well, I'm going to flip it on us for a second, and I'm going to say, well, what if we don't believe it? What if that isn't true of us? What if, yeah, I, can, I, I know Jesus is coming back. He said it. I, I don't have any issue with that, but, but I'm talking about an active belief here. Someone who really understands and embraces the reality of what the second coming might mean. See, if Jesus is not coming, if we don't believe it, then there's no judgment. It means God's not going to intervene. It means that we're left with absolutely no hope, no future, no nothing. William Barclay told of a tombstone that rejects the idea that history has a goal, a climax, that God will intervene through the coming of Christ and bring history to its proper end. And it read this, I was nothing, I am nothing, so thou who art still alive, just eat and drink. Did you know that the topic Jesus talked about the most in his time on earth was actually his kingdom? That his resurrection and ascension inaugurated his kingdom breaking into this world and that everything in life therefore has purpose and meaning until he comes. You see, what happens when we don't believe, embrace, trust in, think regularly about the second coming of Christ. It, when we don't do that, it, it causes us to struggle with the point of everything. We look at this world and all of the chaos and the uncertainty, and it draws us into emotions of lostness, confusion, desperation. I wonder if that's you this morning. Well, what would happen if we did believe it? N.T. Wright, an author and theologian, he has a helpful illustration that I think exemplifies what it means to believe it, what understanding, embracing, taking in the second coming of Christ could mean for us and how it would work. He says this, Imagine that the script of a lost Shakespeare play is somehow discovered. Although the play originally had six acts, only a little more than five had been found. The first four acts, the first scene of the fifth, and the final act of the play. Really, the entire fifth act is missing, and now the actors must work out the rest of act five for themselves. 
So they immerse themselves in the culture and language of Shakespeare and in the partial script that has been recovered. They improvise the fifth act, allowing their performance to be shaped by the trajectory, the thrust of the story, as they have come to understand it. They bring the play toward the conclusion that its author has provided in the script's final act. That helps me. I get that. I can envision what he's saying here is he's saying, listen, we know everything up to the beginning of the fifth act, and we know exactly what the final act is going to look like. Jesus is going to come back, and he's going to redeem and restore everything. It's going to be unbelievable. I'm going to tease that out in just a second here. And what he's saying is, is now what we get to do is try to write the story to be exactly what that's going to be like. So, so what would that look like? How would that final act help and shape our lives? There's lots to unpack here, but I want to offer three suggestions to you. The one, first is this, that his power, because we can see it in the end, it guarantees the final victory which should shape us now. His justice guarantees vindication, and his love guarantees acceptance. So let me take each one of those one at a time. So think about this. If I take in, if I believe, if I'm convinced of Jesus's return that is to come and the power of God will bring final victory, how does that help me when things are out of control right now? It gives me a confidence and an assurance to not be rattled by each and every up and down and circumstance and uncertainty. That there's something about really understanding that God is working in and through history of which I'm a part of, and he truly, because he is all-powerful, will gain the final victory. What about his justice? So if I take in and believe and I'm convinced that Jesus is coming back, that the justice of God guarantees vindication, how does that help me when someone treats me unfairly? When someone wrongs me? And think about this for a second, if you would. I mean, what's our immediate response usually when someone wrongs us? Well, we like to make ourselves the judge. We, we, we like to be the determiners of what should be right and wrong. And we start to think about with certainty what the other person deserves. And if we really want to take this path down to its darkest place, what then happens is usually we want to help them get what they deserve. But if Jesus brings justice and guarantees vindication, can you see how that would free us from bitterness and a drive to be the judge? Now, there's another side to justice because we have a taste of what the justice is that God is going to bring. So we also get to join God in rooting out the injustices that we see in this world. We look at the marginalized and we use the, the power and the position that God has given us to elevate, to bring justice. So we want there to be justice when there is racism. We want there to be justice when there is gender inequality. 
We want there to be justice when there is poverty. Do you know where that comes from? That comes from a belief and a hope and a confident reality that Jesus is going to come back. Have you heard of the Heidelberg Catechism? It's an interesting document. It's a Protestant document. It was created in the 1500s to have short answers to help people with theological questions. So I want you to just listen to this question and answer. They're asking the question, frankly, how do we or what do we believe? How, you know, how do, what does it mean to believe that Jesus is coming back? This is the question. What comfort is it to you that Christ shall come again to judge the living and the dead? And the answer to that is that in all afflictions and persecutions, with uplifted head, I may wait for the judge from heaven who has already offered himself to the judgment of God for me and has taken away from me all the curse. And in essence, what the Heidelberg Catechism is saying here is what happens when we believe in the second coming is it makes us people of grace and forgiveness and hope and generosity. It makes us a people who love. It makes us a people who long for good and true justice. It makes us a people who look to the power of God as bringing the final victory. And my friends, when we live in that way, how transformative it becomes for us. Perhaps some of the struggle we're facing, some of the struggle that we have in this life is that we can offer the platitude that Jesus is coming back, but we don't often think about how his return might impact the act of the play that I'm living in right now. So now let's ask, how do we believe it? How do we believe it? Well, let me read the passage for us just one more time if I can. Ask you again to listen for the words and the language that Jesus uses to answer the question, how? But concerning the day or the hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard. Keep awake. For you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. What I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. Well, let's do the same thing. How does it look like if we don't, you know, how, what do we do when we don't believe it? Well, we sleep, basically, is what he says. Now, I don't think I need to say this, but I'm going to say it anyway. He's not talking about literal sleep, right? We all understand that. He's saying something more profound here, because someone who believes in the second coming sleeps. But what is Jesus talking about? Well, to fall asleep is to do the opposite of what he's saying. It's to not do the job that we're called to do, not to take his return seriously. I read something this week that was actually helpful for me on this. 
It was talking about the difference between ruminating on something and reflecting on something, and I think it's helpful here. When we ruminate on today, I I think that sometimes can lead us to sleep. Because there's a difference between ruminating and reflecting. Ruminating takes situations, mistakes, struggles, and puts us in a pattern of analyzing, recognizing, and repeating it. Think about that with me for just a second. When, when, when I ruminate on something, I have this pattern of I analyze it, I recognize what the problem was, and then I go, let's analyze it some more. And, and, and let's recognize it some more. And then what do I do? I want to analyze it some more. Someone who reflects, they analyze, they recognize, but then they resolve. Resolving something, I think, looks to the second coming of Christ. Because of his power, this can transform me. Because of his love for me, this can transform me. Because of his justice that is to come, this can transform me. So if I mess up, instead of beating myself up, thinking I need to prove myself, I resolve it by trusting that Christ is on the throne. I can be assured that I'm forgiven. So I'm not sleeping or asleep. Rather, I'm turning my heart and my mind to his return. So how we don't believe it is we sleep, but how do we believe it? Well, Jesus says it four times. He makes it blunt and clear. Live Live alert. Be awake. Live in constant readiness. Keep watch which means to be on duty, to do your job. Not watch for evidences indicating when the time will come, but rather just be a servant and do the work that God has given you to do. I had a really interesting conversation with a firefighter friend this week who talked about that. That when he's in the house, there's this constant anticipation of being in his job, whether he's at a fire or at a crash, that when he's there, he's constantly alert and awake of what is to come, prepared and ready to do his job. But I want to ask you what I am telling you is a trick question here. I'm setting you up. If you knew Jesus was coming back tomorrow... How would that change your life today? I want you to really think about that for a second. If by some crazy, miraculous way we found a book of the Bible and Jesus said, I'm coming back on January 29th, 2024. What would change for you about today? You see, how we answer that question tells us so much about what we believe about God's purpose for us in the day-to-day, what we believe about God's grace towards us, and what we believe about the second coming. I mean, I will be honest, right? The temptation is to be like, 
well, I would just go tell everybody. I would just go run out there and, you know, sell all my possessions. And what does it matter? And at least have a, you know, Peach Melba one more time at Fritz's. You know, I, it, we, we, we kind of ha- have this like, oh, I got to do all these web finals. And you see, this is why Jesus didn't tell us the day. This is why he gives this illustration. He wanted us to live exactly the same the day before and the day of. If we were to change everything about that last day, maybe it shows that I totally don't understand God's grace and love that I would feel like I had to clean myself up for his return. Wouldn't that just be minimizing his grace? Maybe it shows that I don't think that my work matters at all for the future. Maybe it shows that our misconception of when Paul says, whatever you do, do it, for the glory of God, it means only spiritual things matter and that not the work that we do in the day to the day and the engaging with our families and the cleaning of our houses and every tiny little thing that we do somehow points to and engages in bringing glory to God. Maybe it shows that I'm living my life not really taking in, believing and trusting in the second coming. You see, the way to believe is to reflect on and discern what my life should look like in that last day, and yes, then pursue that, isn't it? Living in a way that everything that I do matters for eternity, not because I have to earn anything. No, no. Isn't that the beauty of the gospel, that Jesus has already done everything? He has already earned everything. He doesn't want us to live in fear of that day. He wants us to live in hope and peace and anticipation of that day. Augustine, a famous theologian from the 300s, was reflecting on the second coming of Christ, and he said this, He who loves the coming of the Lord is not he who affirms that it is far off, nor is it is he who says it's near, but rather he who, whether it be far off or near, awaits it with sincere faith, steadfast love, and fervent hope. I love that. I love the power and the invitation to consider that what Jesus is calling us to in this passage, what he's saying about staying awake, is he's saying in in the same way that I've called you to live, the day I called you to follow me, I want you to live in that way the day before I return. Now, I mean, let's be fair and transparent. There may be some things in our life that we need to tweak and change and repent of. Right? There, there, of course there should be. We should recognize the ways that we give ourselves the things that aren't beneficial or helpful or helping us come into God's kingdom with hope and praise and love and care. But if we're doing those out of fear... That's what Jesus is not saying here. That's why he didn't tell us today, I believe. Because he's wanting us and inviting us to live the same yesterday as today as if he were coming back tomorrow. 
And my friends, that's why I would offer to you that the path to a robust Christian life includes a life that is built on the belief and hope of the second coming. And my simple ask of us all this morning is that, do we believe it? There's a famous anecdote. It's attributed to Martin Luther, some question about whether it was true or not, but it applies greatly to this moment and ending. It goes like this. Martin Luther, the famous reformer, was once asked, what would he do if he knew that Jesus Christ was coming back tomorrow? And he said, if I knew that tomorrow was the end of the world, I would plant an apple tree today. And what Luther was saying was that it revealed his belief in the importance of living faithfully in the present moment, regardless of speculation about the future. By saying he would plant a tree, he's saying that even in the face of imminent apocalypse, divine judgment, he would continue to live a life of purpose, productivity, and stewardship. And even in that, part of what he was saying was, I'm going to plant this tree today because when Jesus comes back tomorrow to make all things the way it was designed and supposed to be, how glorious that apple will be when I pull it from that tree. Amen. Church, let's be tree planters today. Let's go plant trees. Let's go care for people who are struggling. Let's go love our friends and our family members. Let's go be people who are so convinced of the power and the justice and the love of Jesus Christ that is to come in his return, that today we would plant a tree as a picture of what is to come. Let's pray. Almighty God, might you today grow us as a people who don't just say that Jesus is coming back, but become a people who believe that he's coming back. So help us to wake up to be a people who are so awake that we're so excited about the return that it would empower and impact everything about every moment of our lives, seeing that every moment has purpose for you and for your glory. And Father, may we become a people who when that day does come, we would be so confident in what Christ has done and is about to do, that there wouldn't be much different about how we would live our lives. Because the way that we're planting trees now would just continue. So make us a people who plant trees until you return and we cry out to you this morning. Come, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.